You're listening to the Agony Column News Report featuring interviews, phone interviews, reports from live book events and festivals, and conversations with readers. You can find additional news, interviews, book reviews, and more five days a week at the Agony Column website at trashotroncom agony. I'm speaking with Betsy Burton of King's English Books in Salt Lake City, Utah. Thank you for joining me, Betsy. Thank you for having me. Betsy, tell me about your experience as a bookseller. How long have you been working as a bookseller, and when did you join slash create King's English Books? Well, I helped to create the King's English in um, 1977. I had a partner. Wow. <laughs> yes, it's, it turned 30 years old last September. And... Uh, we started it because we thought Salt Lake needed a bookstore that was a comfortable place to browse, um, lots of chairs, and we served tea, and we wanted to create a small but really good inventory. That was our idea. And um, we've been there for 30 years, so. Now, looking at the, the photograph, it, it almost looks like a suburban home. What What is your uh, business space, and where is it located within the, the confines of the city. Right. It actually is in, it's a neighborhood business, but it's in a little commercial area, and it always has been a business. Originally, it, it was sort of a mom-and-pop notion store back way back in the, I guess, the 20s, maybe. And um, the people lived upstairs in the back and in what is now Fresco, which is an Italian restaurant that really hooked, hooked to the bookstore, but is a separate business. Well, tell us about uh, when 30 years ago when you started selling books, it was a different environment. Tell us what brought you into selling books then and what has kept you in the same store for the past 31 years now. <laughs> well, 30 years ago, as I said, that was a little commercial area, and they had three little offices across the front of what is now the King's English. And I was renting one and working on what, in retrospect, was just a dreadful novel. And <laughs> I talked to a friend of mine who was also a would-be writer into renting another, and we were doing what most writers do, procrastinating, and um, having a cup of coffee and talking about how we wished we had this, this dream bookstore where you could sit in chairs and talk about books and, and you know, have a, a really an inventory that wasn't big but that was was selective and good. And we started enthusing about it, and suddenly we were talking about actually doing it. But we didn't know anything about the book business, and so we got a, we borrowed a copy of Books in Print from a friend of mine at Sam Weller's, which is a downtown bookstore, and we read the author volume <laughs> from cover to cover and made little five-by, three-by-five cards whenever we ran across an author that we liked and books that we wanted to order, and then we organized them by publisher and made purchase, purchase orders, and off they went. Well, so it, it's a very kind of unusual way to start a bookstore. Not, actually, having t- spoken to a few uh, booksellers, it's not that unusual. Is that right? <laughs> yeah. Other people? <laughs> yeah, many people have, have, have started out uh, just uh, getting books they want, and that's generally what makes bookstores that last, I, I, yeah. I think is true. So, yeah, I do too. Tell me about the changes in the book business that you, as you've seen them over these past 30 years. You've managed to stay in the same place for all that time. That's pretty incredible. 
Well, actually, you know, when we started the bookstore, everybody thought we were absolutely insane for choosing a location like that because, you know, you you wouldn't just stumble upon it. You had to drive to it or unless you lived in the neighborhood. So, um, and I think probably for the first five or six years, it really did work to our disadvantage. But then as, as you know, word got out and the people who like the kind of bookstore that we had created heard about it and came, it actually ended up being the best thing that could have, could ever have happened to us because it's the, the zoning is such that chains, big boxes can't get anywhere near us, not just close. To, I mean, they just can't get within, oh, a mile and a half in either direction, which is a nice safety zone to have these days. So that was, was actually good, but, you know, we were really slammed in the 90s It was it, because we did have a Barnes & Noble about a mile and a half away to the to the um, south, and then another one to the north, about two mi- two and a half miles, and they really had a huge impact on us. And so we started a business alliance. About six businesses got together and started a business alliance in '97, and that was very helpful for to a certain point. We we got up to about 250, 300 businesses, and you know, government started to listen, but we never could grow beyond that point. And about, um, oh, I guess about four, three years ago, we decided that we wanted something different, something that was just educational and that could be a C3 so that we could raise money and we could have a, a kind of massive membership because it would just be educational. And so we started Local First Utah statewide, and we have... After two and a half years of being actively in business, we have 1,500 businesses and, you know, a strong buy-in from our city and county governments. We're starting to spread all over the state, and the state is now kind of listening to us, too. So it's really helped us to to stay in business. I I think if, if there's one single mechanism to help an independent business of any kind, but particularly a bookstore, um... An organization like this is, is just, it's like having Harry Potter every other day <laughs> because it generates a lot of publicity for, for your business and makes people think about your business as being at the heart of community. Well, this is really interesting. You know, I've, as I said, I've spoken to a lot of booksellers, but nobody's ever told me about this kind of arrangement before. So this is a business alliance, and essentially the businesses send one another's employees to the other businesses in the alliance and keep one aware and, and keep uh, the publicity going. Is that correct? Well, that's, that's how a business alliance works, but Local First is educational. And so what, what we've done is um, we have... We have two annual campaigns, Independence Week and Buy Local First Week. One we borrowed from Amoeba, which is the American Independent Business Alliance, and they are nationwide. And the other one we borrowed from Bally, which is the Business Alliance for Local Living Economies, and they're nationwide. They're both national organizations that are kind of encouraging these local networks. But, you know, this really is a local movement, so each each different um, each different network needs to be started locally. And now, just, just at this BEA, the, the American Booksellers Association launched a total support of this. Um, it's called Indie Bound, and they've relabeled BookSense so that the BookSense lists are now the Indie Next list, 
and and they're really encouraging bookstores all over the country to be involved in these things. Well, you mentioned that you had two uh, uh, Barnes and Noble. Yeah, two Within... Barnes and Nobles, and there, of course, are many more Barnes and Nobles in our area, and there were, there are borders, but these two particular stores were kind of um, surrounding us. <laughs> oh, that's uh, I mean that's kind of uh, crazy. I mean it's it's almost like the uh, the Starbucks you know that you find across the street from one another in, yeah. in some cities. Are they still around? Are those bookstores still around? No, the one the one on the on the um, to the east of us actually moved to a mall, and that took off some of the pressure. But the other thing, I think, as 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 local first has grown and people are starting to talk a lot about community and how. They need to support their local businesses if they're going to have a community. And the growing awareness of that and the growing awareness of the studies, which which um, there are 12 studies now that have been done nationwide that show that um, bookstores return three times as much to the local economy as chains. And so all of this, you know, getting this into the minds of the public makes a huge difference. And I think that I attribute that to most of our businesses actually, you know, growing very healthily again. Well, tell me a little bit about what sort of bookstore are you are. Are you a general purpose bookstore, or do you have a, a specialty, or is it just what you and your partner like to uh, put on the shelves? No, we're we're a general bookstore. We have a very literary bent. So, we you know our fastest turning section actually is hardback fiction because we do a lot of hand selling and we read a lot, and um, but we we have a great poetry section. Um, we have a wonderful and big kids section. We also have a good mystery section because I—that's what I tend to read when I'm going crazy. <laughs> and um, but we are general. We have a great cookbook, great gardening, wonderful nature section, good nonfiction. You know, we really are general. And we look small from the outside. We actually are small. We're 2,000 square feet, but we have seven little rooms, so we've got a lot of books crammed in that small space. Do you have author or signing events there? We have lots of author events. Um, I actually wrote a book called The King's English Adventures of an Independent Bookseller, and in that book I talk a lot about author appearances, you know, the, the funny ones, the ones that have gone wrong for one reason or another, or the ones that have moved us. And um, we've, we really do have a lot of, of author events we're, we're easy to get to. We're sort of between the tattered cover and the coast, you know. <laughs> and we, we, we've had a lot of major authors here, and we get a lot of first authors, and we just have a pretty active events program. Uh, beyond author appearances, do you have uh, reading groups, book groups, writing groups? Uh -huh. We do. We have um, two different booksellers who have two different writing groups each, um, at the store, and then uh, that are just general um, contemporary fiction, and then we have um, a classic fiction program and a mystery program. You know, these are all book clubs, and um, then we have a lot of other outside book clubs that either meet at the store or order their books through the store. And so we have all their books sort of in one place and displayed. It's a it's a big area for us, and a lot of the outside. Um, Book clubs will present once a year a whole bunch of books, you know, sort of thumbnail sketches, and then they decide on their year's reading from from there. So we have a very active book club program. We have a kids club program um, in the summer that's 
that's kind of extensive and it's for different ages, you know, broken up into different ages. And then we have um, four story hours and we have some different educational um, programs from time to time. We do a lot of different things like that at the store. We don't we don't have an, an event a day, but we probably have three 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 a week maybe would be an average. Wow, that that seems like a lot for uh, especially for a small space. Do are they all hosted in store, or do you sometimes use offsite locations? Well, the, for the for the book clubs, those kinds of things we're all in store, and then we have a uh, gallery just down the street where we can we can host up to a hundred people there, and then for other events, we tend to to use the local. We have a couple of private high schools that are just really happy to have have us there as long as they're you know their space is free so we do big events there we've things like we've had you know lemony snicket and alexander mccall smith and john mortimer and isabella yindi you know the ones that that bring huge oh stephanie meyer we had that was huge those kinds of events are at these high schools that will seat like a thousand people tell me a, a little bit about you know, your personal um, experience as a bookseller, we've all heard that, you know, book sales are going down and it's flat and it's kind of a doom and gloom scenario out there. Here you are sounding very enthusiastic. <laughs> I, I just can't tell you what a difference these local first efforts have made. In, in, it isn't in reading, of course, but it is in people coming to independent businesses. And then, um, I don't know, it, it just feels really vibrant at our store. It feels like we're in a neighborhood, so all of these young parents come and bring their kids, um, and so they're they're there all the time. And we have you know parents huddled in corners on chairs reading to their kids, and um, then there's a very sort of active group of we've got this section called on the edge where we've combined the oldest young adult, and then the kind of um, adult fiction that really appeals to people in their twenties, um, things like the raw shark text. And and so we've created this new section, and we've put it right by graphic novels and science fiction. And so these younger people are seem very interested. And I and you know people who love good fiction have always been a, a really loyal audience. So I feel like things are going very well. Uh, I th- found it really unusual and heartening to to hear that. Um, you sell hardcover fiction well. This isn't necessarily something that, that booksellers want to see. And, and, in fact, we're seeing a lot of more first novels and uh, trade paperback reprints. I know. In and in a way, you know, we kind of miss it. We're sort of, we've set up our, we write a publication called The Ink Slinger, and we review all the new hardbacks. And then when we do paper, um, of course, they'll be featured in the paper section, but the, the big emphasis for us is on the hardback. So the ones that come out in paper really miss that first great rush that, you know, um, we just we just are sending out our new, and we have Salman Rushdie's um, new book, and um, oh, the story of Edgar Sawtell and the case of exploding mangoes, mangoes, which is a book I just loved. It has a really original voice. Louise Erdrich's book, of course, which is not brand new, but I just thought was fabulous. Um, it's just so much fun when we get these great new novels in and can can enthuse about them and get people excited about them. Do you sell much uh, small press fiction? Oh, yeah, we do. 
we see, you know, the, all the reps. So we see lots of commission reps. And um, reps are so wonderful. I mean, they're like good book fillers. They know what fits your store and what you're likely to like. And and they're they're the ones that will alert, alert us to that wonderful little nugget on a small press list. Um, one of our big successes of the year is Night Train to Lisbon. Um, it isn't a small press, but... You know, it's a medium press, and we sold over 100 copies of that. It's wow. such a great book. It is such a great novel. Could you talk a little bit, tell me who, what novels you have read almost recently are, are, are anticipating to read in the upcoming months? Sure. Well, um, from, from earlier in the year, Night Train to Lisbon was, was one that I just loved. Um, recently, I, you know, I finished... Um, the Enchantress of Florence, the, the Solomon Rushdie, about, oh, I guess about a month ago, and I, I thought it was brilliant. I, I think it's the best thing he's written since, um, um, now I'm blanking on the name, the, the, mis- uh, gee, the, one, the one about the, the woman who is the artist in India. Um, Shalimar the Clown? No, no. The Ground Beneath Her Feet? No, it was before those two. It the was Satanic about, Verses? No, it was. It was. It may have been the one before. Or after that, it was just about. Oh, gee, I can't believe I can't remember it. Anyway, um, it was my favorite since then, and it will come to me before we're done talking. Well, I'm reading Haroon in the Sea of Stories now, and I absolutely love it. It's just a, a beautiful fantasy, and I was looking at you know at, at more of uh, Rushdie's work, and he really is. Uh, I think in many ways he's a fantasy and science fiction writer. That there's a lot of those themes in his absolutely. Work. And this this is this has an element of fantasy in it. Absolutely, um, you know, it's about a story teller who comes to. Wait a minute, I'm I'm looking at my Rushdie here. Um, the Moore's Left Side is the one I was trying to come up with. That's the one that I love so much, and this is my favorite since then. But it, but it begins with this, this um, Mughal emperor who is a very sort of, um, and, and he spells it not Mughal, but Mughal, M-U-G, um, who is a very sort of philosophic and, and kind ruler. And he has, of, of course, many wives, and he, and he even has an imaginary wife who's actually his favorite. Um, and this this Italian comes to his court and begins to tell stories in a kind of Scheherazade-like way. And as he tells these stories, he winds back and forth. And you, and he is Florentine, and he talks about these three young boys in Florence. And and slowly, over you know how he winds back and forth, you begin to understand this is really his story. And so the story goes back and forth between Renaissance Florence and this Persian Empire. And it's just, it's just fabulous. It's just, and and of course there is this enchantress, who begins in one in one um, part of the story and quickly takes over the whole story. It's just a brilliant book, and and as much it's history, it's fantasy, and it's it, it applies absolutely to the present day. I find it really interesting how. Um uh, fascinated uh, Rushdie is, I think, across all his works with, with the process of, of storytelling. That seems to be one of the core themes of his work. I know, and it's what makes him such a delight to read because that that narrative drive, you know, that story is everything to him, and it makes it 
that's why he's so compelling, I think, why he's so good at pulling people in to his world. And then he's so playful with language and so brilliant. He's, he's an amazing writer, I think. I love him. And, and a lot of fun to read, too. That's the yeah. bottom line. Absolutely. I just, I, I just was enchanted, not to play on the title, with, with, the whole, with the whole experience of reading this book. I just, you know, I was compelled. Um, I loved the language. Everything about it was just, just kind of perfect. So that is a wonderful book. You know, there's one in the fall I'm, I'm really looking forward to. I read a manuscript of it, but I haven't read the, you know, the, whatever is the current version. But Terry Tempest Williams has a new novel coming out, I think, in October. It's not a novel. It's nonfiction. Um, but it's that kind of creative nonfiction that she does, and it ties together art and nature, the natural world, and... Rwanda, because she was in Rwanda. Right. I talked to her right after she came back from Rwanda. Oh, this book is just amazing. The part about Rwanda is, you know, you know how she writes, the, the, the rich language? The language in this is pared down, because I think if she'd wrote it using that rich language, it would have been too much. It's just, it's so powerful. But But everything she does before that, it's sort of a mosaic pattern that's, all these pieces end up really coming together in the end and it you know the purpose is to to find i think it i think the title is finding beauty in a broken world and you know it's the post 9-11 world of course and how to make sense of things and it's it's a very important book i think it's just brilliant and she's a local author she lives in utah doesn't she well she doesn't anymore she she grew up here and she now lives in jackson but she still comes back here to teach and i think they still have a house in in castle valley and you know a different part of the state she used to live in salt lake but she doesn't anymore so those are two books that i really liked um do you want have you do you know about case of exploding mangoes no i don't but i keep i keep seeing little blips about it tell me about it well it if i could give a little one sentence blurb it would be a pakistani catch 22 it's got a very original voice, and it takes place in Pakistan. And the narrator is a junior officer in the army, and his father, who was high up in the army, I think he—I can't remember if he's a general or a colonel or something. Anyway, he supposedly committed suicide, but the narrator isn't quite sure that he believes that. And it's one of those tricky narrator voices where the narrator knows more than you, and so you only—you only gradually learn just how much the narrator does know. But um, anyway, at the beginning of the book, he's conducting what he calls silent drills, where his, his, the soldiers in his unit have to kind of intuit from his pregnant silence what he wants them to do. <laughs> it's just, and the whole book is just zany. There's a, you know, he's in jail, and there's a blind woman in there who's, who's been thrown in jail and is about to be killed, because um, she was raped by, I don't know, 17 people, and she couldn't identify him because she was blind. And therefore, since she couldn't identify him, she's the guilty party. It's that kind of just insane reasoning that you find in Kafka um, that's at once sick and funny in its sick way. And in reality, alas, as well. Uh, all too common. All too common, yeah. So, so the book is just this piece of of absurdity that's great fun to read and and um, the plot there's a plot there's an assassination plot 
that has another one on top of it. You know, it's just everything kind of burst into this great conflagration in the end. It's it's just a very original book, and I loved it. So, We've been speaking with Betsy Burton of King's English Books in Salt Lake City, Utah. Thank you for joining me, Betsy. Oh, thank you so much for having me. You're listening to the Agony Column News Report featuring interviews, phone interviews, reports from live book events and festivals, and conversations with readers. You can find additional news, interviews, book reviews, and more five days a week at the Agony Column website at trashotroncom agony.